0: Greetings everyone. Uh, Welcome to Palm Sunday. I'd like you to know that it's an incredible privilege and honor for us to worship with you, for you to join us. So thank you so much for being here and engaging with what God has to reveal to us through the text this morning and through our life together. Though we are physically separated in distance, we align ourselves with the purposes of God through worship. And alignment is the word Of the day, if there was one word for today, it's the word alignment. We'll look at it in a moment. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you that as we gather scattered, soon we hope and pray to be uh, gathered again in the same space. Uh, We are grateful that you not only invite us to a life aligned with your purposes, but that you equip us toward that end. You provide everything we need to live lives of hope and meaning and generosity. And I pray, Father, that we would move toward that alignment. We're mindful because of shootings and violence and race and, and fear and weariness and loneliness that we collectively are certainly not in alignment, and often we as individuals as well fall out of alignment with your purposes. So would you speak to us about that today? We'll thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alignment is the word of the day, if there were such a word, that today would be the word alignment. It matters in your cars. If you've ever driven and you're parking parallel and then you hit the curb, you have this immediate anxiety. At least I do. uh Uh-oh, I'm out of alignment now. And it's going to wear my tires out and my gas mileage is not going to be as good. Alignment matters in cars. Alignment matters in your neck. We, many of us, work on computers, and we're like this all the time. As a result of that, sometimes our necks get sore. We need our neck back in alignment. Our spine needs to be aligned. When you're hanging a door, the door needs to be aligned with the door jam. Otherwise, it won't close or it won't open. Alignment matters, so, but the default in a fallen world is for things that were aligned to fall out of alignment, that just that just happens, right, and so when we come to looking at our life in Christ, it's very important that we understand that God has created us in such a way that our lives are intended by god 's design to be aligned with god 's purposes. God has a calling on your life. God has fruits of the spirit that God wants to display in and through you uniquely, so that you are this unique expression of nothing less than the resurrected life of Jesus, so that you become in this world a person of hope and meaning and justice, and yet, just like a car, just like my neck, just like my spine, just like my door, I will fall out of alignment. I will. That is the story that happens over and over and over again in the scriptures, so that when we come to the conclusion of our series, Formed in the Wilderness, We see that Exodus 32 and the making of the golden calf is not a single dramatic event, but rather a picture of a pattern that occurs over and over again throughout human history. It happens in individuals, it happens in family systems, it happens in churches, it happens in nations, it happens between nations. We fall out of alignment. And so there are three realities that are in this recurring story that I'd like us to see together so that we can tap into these realities and live lives whereby we are continually bringing ourselves back into alignment with God's purposes. The three realities are these. There's always a crisis, the fickle human condition that moves us out of alignment. There's always an intervention, the faithful intercessor who prevents destruction when we've fallen out of alignment. And there's always salvation, the free gift of God that calls us back into alignment. Let's look at those three things together today, beginning with the crisis, the fickle human condition. And so we're reading From the text, Exodus chapter 32, Israel is in the wilderness. Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai to receive revelation from God regarding how the people of God are to live. And it's here where we we, uh, encounter the crisis, the fickle human condition, as we read. Uh, The people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, and the people assembled and said, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for Moses, who brought us up, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron, Moses' spokesperson, said, Tear off uh, your uh, golden rings in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. And then the people tore off the gold rings, and Aaron uh, took this and fashioned this into a molten calf. And he said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out from the land of Egypt. Uh, this is our loss of alignment in this, in this text. So, in this case study, uh, Israel's in the wilderness. Uh, they had in their previous life a steady state. They were in Egypt. It wasn't a good life, but it was their life, and it was their quote-unquote normal. So they had they had this life. It was slavery. They didn't like it at the time. They wanted deliverance. They gained deliverance, but but now in the new life that is moving them into alignment with God's purposes, as they're moving, watch this, as they're moving towards God's purposes, they're like this, you know what? We don't like where we're going. We Actually, we like it better back there. And eventually, we will see that uh, Israel comes to the conclusion that it would be better for them to go back to Egypt where they were out of alignment because, listen, out of alignment is normal. I like that. Like, I've adapted to out of alignment, and it's normal. So they're longing for closure they're longing for this steady state that, that in their minds now is what was, and they're resisting what can be. This is really, really very important. Because first of all, I want to offer for you a reality check. There is no steady state. Life, life is always changing. Uh, in a book that I just read entitled Sacred Time, Embracing an Intentional Way of Life, Christine Paintner, who I'll be interviewing uh, for the podcast Toward Wholeness in a few weeks, she reminds us that uh, life is never really a steady state, but rather life is filled with rhythms. Every time you breathe, it's part of this rhythm. Every breath is this dance between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, When you inhale, your pulse goes up. When you exhale, your pulse goes down. This creates what's called heart rate variability, which is an indicator of health. The closer your heartbeat is to sounding like a metronome, the closer your heartbeat is to a steady state, the closer you are to dead. It's better if your heart is fast and then slow. Fast and then slow. Uh, Then there's this rhythm of activity and rest every day. The sun comes up, we go to work. The sun goes down, we go to bed. Then there's the week of work and rest with the Sabbath. Then there are the lunar cycles of the month. Then the annual cycle of the seasons, and the annual cycle of the seasons are actually paralleled by our lives We have this time of of expansion like spring. We have this time of super productivity, which is intended to be kind of the pinnacle of your career. We we, we have this time of of mentoring, which is the the fall season, the autumn when you're kind of investing in others. And then there's there's this time of winter as we approach rest. But here's the deal. None of this is a steady state. Everything is always changing. So alignment with God's purposes is not you in a study state where tomorrow is like yesterday. Alignment with with God's purposes is your capacity to adapt to God's revelation and guidance and, and formation, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We should be moving, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, from glory to glory to glory, looking more and more and more and more and more like Jesus as we adapt. Adaptation is alignment. So God is teaching Israel that they need to go with the flow of the Holy Spirit as they're wandering through the wilderness. In Numbers 9, God says this, look, I'm guiding you. There's a cloud in the daytime that'll guide you. There's fire at night. And then God says in Numbers 9, uh, when the fire moves, you move. When the fire stays, you stay. That should be enough information, but it isn't. God articulates this over and over again in Numbers 9. For we, the reader, to the point of humor, God says. So if the, if the fire stays for three days, you stay for, are you ready? Three days. If the fire stays for a month, you stay for a month. If the cloud only stays for a day, you only stay for, are you ready? A day. When God moves, you move. When God says stay, you stay. You have one responsibility, follow. That's it. So God is teaching Israel this and in the journey through the wilderness, sometimes they would settle for a few days, sometimes overnight, sometimes a month, sometimes longer, sometimes they'd move for several days in a row, other times just one day. They needed to learn this. I will trust, I will follow and adapt, I will wait. When God says wait, I must wait. And they're in a season of waiting in Exodus 32, and they don't want to wait. So all of this is put to the test because it says in Exodus 32:1. When the people saw that Moses had delayed, they made a calf. In other words, what sets their destructive path in motion is that God is not operating according to their timetable. And as a result, they take the same uh, they take God and, and, and they fashion the, this, this jewelry into a being who is of their own making, in other words, a being who will function according to their tendencies. Let me put this a different way. Israel in Exodus 32 is making a God in the image of humankind rather than humanity allowing themselves to be shaped by the true God. Like I'm, ta- I'm It's not that I don't want to worship, it's that I want to worship a God that reinforces who I already am, because I like the study state that is me. <laughs> and so I don't want to change, and so rather than change, I make a God in my image. And this is where this text intersects with Palm Sunday. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Everyone's like this, Hosanna, save us now. You're the man. But in the back of their mind and in their heart, what they understood salvation to be was national deliverance from the oppression of Rome. And so they loved this Messiah, but the Messiah they loved was a Messiah made in their own image, a Messiah of nationalism. And as soon as it became clear to them that Jesus' intent was not a national deliverance from the oppression of Rome, but a global transformation beginning with the human heart, as soon as that was clear, they moved from Hosanna to what? Crucify him. Like we love, worship, but not this God. So rather than allowing themselves to be shaped by God, they reshape God in their image a God who will do their bidding, their timetable. Sound familiar? I mean, the drum bait of this past year in many circles has been the implosion of evangelical Christianity. I've read articles on the implosion of evangelical Christianity in the Atlantic, in the New York Times, in the New Yorker, in Time Magazine, in uh, New Century. Like it's a theme in 2020, 2021. It's a theme what happened to Christianity in America? And whether you agree with the following assessments of evangelicalism or not, at least you can see that evangelicals have been accused in the secular media of making God in their image. Why? Because the God of American evangelical Christianity has come to be characterized, rightly or wrongly, as a nationalist B, anti-science on matters of both the pandemic and climate change. C, neglectful of the poor and immigrants. And and, and D, at at the very least, silent on the issue of systemic racism. So the the critique is this. Look, you say you worship God, but the God that we read about in the Bible is not anti-science. The God we read about in the Bible is not racist. So how are you making this God that doesn't look like the God of the Bible? This is idolatry. Unless you think that... It's only the right that is guilty of this. There's a progressive Jesus version of this too. That is silent on caring for life in the womb. That resists uh, linking sexual intimacy to covenant relationships. That minimizes the importance of family systems as the foundational support network for a thriving culture. That marginalizes the elderly. So it's not a left problem or a right problem. It's a human problem. We make God in our image. And then we lose alignment. And the scary thing is that you can selectively read the Bible and make God into anything that suits you. The doctrine of discovery, which justified colonialism, is is rooted in the book of Joshua, among other places in the Old Testament. But it's a misreading of Scripture. So this is the real danger of idolatry for you and I, not that we're worshiping statues or the sun, but that you and I are subtly, we who read the Bible, we who gather, we worship, we are sing, we're subtly making a God in our image. And then we're calling the God that we make in our image, the God that is revealed in the text. No. And why would we do this? Again, here's why. When the people saw that Moses had delayed, we do, first of all, we don't like change but then we don't like waiting and uncertainty. So rather than sitting with the mystery that is Scripture, rather than allowing truth to ripen in us, we want closure and we want it yesterday. And so we're ripe for kind of pithy, Twitter-length answers to vast, cosmic, mysterious questions, but such answers create a God made in our own image that's called idolatry. So we need to learn to wait with the questions to to which we have no answer. We need to learn to wait on God for timing. We, 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 We need to learn here to allow the mystery to ripen. This is a point of Matthew 6. Don't worry about tomorrow, says Jesus. You don't need a master plan in that sense. This is a point of James 4, 13 to 16. Come now, you who say hey, tomorrow we're going to do this. We're going, you know, we're going to invest and it'll, it'll gain 8% over time and then we're going to withdraw 4% a year and that'll be our retirement and that's when we move to Cancun and we have a good time. Go ahead and make a plan, but don't hold on to it because your plan will change. This is the point of the story about the guy who built bigger and bigger barns. Wow, I'm finally to a point where I don't have to follow the flame in the cloud anymore. I'm autonomous and here's, here's God's assessment, you're autonomous, you're a fool, because you forfeited the life for which you're created in order to create quick, easy closure, and you still read your Bible, and you still sickness, whoops, <laughs> pardon me, I just lost this thing. I get, so, uh, I get so excited, you guys, about this thing. You still read your Bible, and, 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 and you still worship But it's a God of your own making because you would not wait for the mystery to ripen. Uh, Yeah, we got to watch out. Embrace the reality that tomorrow's page is blank, the rest of today's page is blank, and rest there. You can plan, but know that your plan will unfold in a different manner than you intended because God's plan for you is not your plan, (laughs) it's God's plan. Better than planning is to simply follow the flame and the cloud. MLK never planned on being a reformer. William Wilberforce never planned on entering politics and uh, ending uh, the slave trade in England. Esther never planned on being a queen and confronting the king over an attempted genocide of the Jews. Daniel never planned on being in captivity and interpreting dreams. Joseph never planned on being in prison for 15 years. My friend never planned on uh, having colon cancer at the the age of 40. My my, my other friend never planned on on his spouse dying (laughs) at the age of 32. Plans? (sighs) Trust. God is wanting you aligned with God's plans. And when you insist on your plans, you're out of alignment. Second, there's an intervention. So Israel has made a God. And the intervention in Exodus 32 is found uh, in, it begins in in, uh, verse 7. God speaks to to Moses, says, Go down, your people. Uh, They've turned aside. They've made for themselves a molten calf. Now then, verse 10. Let me alone my anger may burn against them uh, that I may destroy them and I'll make of you a great nation. And then uh, here's verse 11. Moses prays and he says, oh God, why does your anger burn against your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and mighty hand? Why would the Egyptians speak uh, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them? Turn from your anger, Moses prays. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about that which he said he would do to his people. This is also very significant. It's vital that we allow our lives to be shaped by the truth of this passage because this text offers a window into the relationship between God and humankind. The reality is that God is calling us to a place of solidarity with others so that we, like Moses, being in relationship with God, are able to pray on behalf of uh, of, uh, others, speak to God on behalf of others, and uh, intercede on behalf of others. And there's a couple of principles that should guide us here. Principle number one, God's desire is that you and I mature to the point of moving outside of ourselves so that we begin to actively advocate for others, especially advocating for others to God in prayer, like you're made to care for other people. The reality is that our default tendency is to become so absorbed in our own issues our own pain, our own uh, financial insecurity, our own displacement, our own uncertainty, our own weariness, that many never enter into this larger calling to actively bless others by advocating for them. I mean, very very often, uh, there are, like, single things that prevent us from entering into a life of service. And I'll just name for many who may be watching this the thing that is often preventing a life of service is shame. You're carrying something. Like it's some kind of secret addiction on the internet, or it's, it's um, uh, some kind of uh, substance addiction, or it's, it's this knowledge that there's a profound dissonance, misalignment between your values and the values that you know God has called you to, and so you feel unworthy, and then you step out of God's story completely. We're going to learn here, look, you're made for a life of serving others. That's just the way it is. And so, in spite of the human tendency to become self-absorbed, Moses offers an exception, and we learn from Moses that his advocacy comes from his role as a priest. Because a priest is someone who stands before God on behalf of another person or on behalf of a group of people. And if you're doing that, if you're standing before God on behalf of another person, it means, number one, that you see the people for whom you're praying. You see them. You see their suffering. You see the AAPI community after Atlanta. You see the black community after George, George Floyd, Bre- Breonna Taylor. You see the homeless community in Seattle. Seeing means you don't change the channel You don't rush to judgment. You take time. You suffer with. That's literally the meaning of the word compassion, to suffer with. Moses is suffering with Israel here. Who are you suffering with? But you don't stop there with suffering with. Uh, You petition God on behalf of the one who is suffering. In this case, God asked Moses, uh, Moses asked God to spare Israel. So I just asked a question here today: uh, who do you see? Who are you praying for? Who are you walking with? With whom are you suffering? Many of us were privileged just yesterday to make a journey down to the Duwamish Longhouse and uh, learn a little bit of the history of the Native American land on which I stand right now. That history is profound, and if you don't know it, I encourage you to know it. I encourage you to see Because seeing is the first step of compassion, which means to suffer with. And then then compassion is is the precursor to intercession and action. Who do you see? Who, Who are you praying for? Because if the answer is no one, we're out of alignment. How do I know that? Because uh, this is what it means to be a priest, and 2 Peter, uh, you are priests. Excuse me, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 5. So if you're a Christ follower, you're a priest, and many have taken that to mean, uh, particularly in Protestant churches, many have taken that to mean, you know, I have direct access to God, so I don't need no stinking priest praying on my behalf, no more indulgences, you know, none of that Catholic stuff, that kind of misses the point. It's not entirely misguided, but, but when God says, look, I made you a priest, it's, it's not so that you as an individual can have direct access to God and storm the gate. Your call as a priest is to intercede on behalf of others. Where did that go? Let's recover our calling of priesthood because we are given access to God, listen, for the sake of advocacy, not individualism. Advocacy, not individualism. Very, very important. Taking up our role of priests is empowering. It should cause us to rise up and live outside of ourselves. Seeing others, suffering with others, advocating for others before both God and people. And do these prayers make a difference? Absolutely. Because what do I see in this text? I see, oh, uh, here's Moses advocating to God on behalf of Israel. God had said, I will destroy them. Moses advocates in prayer. And then, verse 14, God changes his mind. The Lord changed his mind about the harm he said he would do to his people. Now, I don't want to get down into kind of theological weeds here about uh, sovereignty and free will and human action. I'm just going to make a couple of significant observations. When you look at texts throughout the Old Testament and the New, you see that when God is calling you to prayer, prayer isn't perfunctory. In other words, it's not like God has already made up God's mind regarding everything that's going to happen in the world. No, God is inviting us to participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive purposes through prayer. (laughs) Ezekiel 22 verses 29 to 31 says this, I looked for someone who would stand in the gap on behalf of Israel to pray for that nation that I would not destroy it. I found no one. That's why destruction's coming. No one was praying. No prayer is what leads to the nation reaping the fruits of oppression that they'd sown. It's not just the victims that need intercession, it's the perpetrators. We're asking for a pouring out of God's Spirit on the whole thing. And since you have become a priest, that's your calling, to live in advocacy and solidarity with a world that is vastly out of alignment with God's purposes, and that, that priestly role isn't generic. I pray for humanity. That priestly role is specific. I pray for Andrew. I pray for Abigail. I pray for Phil. I, I pray for people. I'll bring this back in, in the conclusion here in just a moment. What this means for our own alignment, but if you are if you have no priestly sense in your life, you're not advocating for anybody. You're not caring for anyone. If you have no priestly sense, I'm here to tell you, you're out of alignment. And here's the last thing. Salvation is the free gift of God, and so as we've gone through this, we've seen the crisis. Humanity, by default, tends toward misalignment just like your car, just like your spine, just like the door jam. Give it enough time, misaligns. But then, there's always a, there's an intercessor. And by the way, Christ ever lives to make intercession for you, Hebrews chapter seven. So there's a priest advocating for you so that you now, in your role as a priest, can advocate for others. And all this leads then to salvation, which is the free gift, verse 14. God changed his mind regarding the harm that God said God would bring to his people and the people are saved. This doesn't mean there are no consequences for their sin. That's an important part of the story. But for right now, I want you to see that what God is displaying here is kind of this uh, nascent form of mercy and righteousness beautifully interwoven so that Psalm 85, verse 8, uh, talks about m- mercy and justice kissing in a sense, right? They're both there. they're woven together. And this is very important. We see it in Jesus in John 1:14. Here's Christ full of grace and truth not grace without truth, not truth without grace, full of grace and truth. Not mercy without judgment, not judgment without mercy, full of mercy and judgments. If God's character were pure mercy, sin would go unchecked and humanity would be gone by now. If God's character were pure judgment, sin would be punished and humanity would be gone by now. The only reason we're still here is because of this perfect blend of mercy and judgment, of of, uh, grace and truth. Let me just read a little of Psalm 85 uh, so you see how this works. Restore us, O God of salvation. In other words, bring us back into alignment. Cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, Grant us your salvation. In other words, here's the cry of the heart God, bring us back into alignment. We've blown it. We know it. And we know that being out of alignment, if left unchecked, will lead to our destruction. We need you to intervene and bring us back to the life for which we're created. And that's their prayer in Psalm 85. And God's answer is this Yes, I will bring you back into alignment. I will speak peace to my people. Huh, wow. So I pray. I'm out of alignment, God brings me back into alignment. That the glory of God may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And then I love this in verse eight. God will speak peace to his people, but not let them turn back to folly. In other words, I'll speak peace to people who are out of alignment and bring them back into alignment. I love you too much to destroy you, but watch this. I also love you too much to allow you to remain the same. Uh, Listen, I love you too much to allow your racism to remain, to allow your addiction to uh, uh, pornography to remain, to allow your addiction to some substance to remain, to allow your greed to remain. I love you too much. For you to remain out of alignment, so I will intervene again and again and again and again until you come back to me so that you can live the life for which you're created. That's the gospel. And we may shout, crucify him, and we do, but he will shout, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because God's desire is our alignment. God is for you. God is for us, loving us too much to destroy us, that's mercy. Loving us too much to allow us to remain the same, that's righteousness and justice. Like a good parent, God loves, but won't passively let us continue with destructive choices. Romans 6.23 says it this way, the wages of sin, being out of alignment, is death, but the free gift of God, eternal life in Christ. This is life. This is zoe. The word zoe in Romans 6. Not bios, biological life, but your quality of life. The free gift of God, a quality of life aligned with God's purposes. So that through you begin to flow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. So that through you flows your calling to bless others to intercede on behalf of others, to stand in the gap for others, so that you are living aligned with your purpose. When that happens, I'm telling you, you have a reason to get up in the morning, and and, and you have a joy and a a sustaining source of energy that you can never have when you're misaligned. Don't live so small. You're made for a life shaped by God's character and revelation. You're made for life, live beyond yourself in compassion, solidarity, and intercession. And you're made for life, lived with confidence in God's mercy. Some of you uh, know that a book that I've had for decades now is a book about aligning your, um, your hips and your spine and stuff. And it's called, it's called the ego Method, and it's just some exercise you do in the morning that help align your body so that if you enjoy running, you can continue to run into your 60s without uh, cracking up or something, you know? And and there's a a chapter at the end uh, where he he answers questions that people have sent in. And uh, he says, the most frequent question he gets is people go, you know, I'm using your book, it doesn't work. And then so he says, uh, when I follow up with people, this is what I always ask, are you doing the exercises? And they go, well, yeah. And he goes, no, no, no. Here's what I mean by doing the exercises. Do you do the exercises, number one, every day? Number two, in the order that they're supposed to be done. Number three, properly. And he says, for everyone who says the exercises don't work, the answer to that trifecta, is it always includes a no. Yeah, I do them, but not in the right order. Yeah, I do them, but not every day. And then, like in all caps, in this exaggerated font, This is what he writes. The solution, do the exercises, right? And so I'm going to ask the same question here. Are you in alignment? Like when you wake up in the morning, do you know your calling? Do you know your gifts? Are are, are there people you you care for? If not, do the exercises. What exercises? Well, this is why we have a rule of life here uh, at, at, at Bethany. We encourage people to develop practices that will remind you of the life for which you're created. I would begin by looking at your identity in Christ. I do it every morning in prayer. I'm complete in Christ. I'm loved unconditionally. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm given gifts by God. God will never leave me. And on every breath, I'm reminding myself of who I am. And then when I take a look at my life, I go, oh, that fear, that's not who I am. That cynicism, that's not who I am. That pride, that judgmentalism, that disengagement, that greed, not me. It's a little bit of alignment, right? We are made for meaning. We're made for alignment. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that uh, you created us not so that we could live for a few decades and then die having eaten some meals and had a few good times, but you have given us a purpose, an eternal purpose. And we would just express, I would anyway, my desire to be aligned with that purpose every day. So would you speak to us about steps we can take, Father, for alignment? And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits as we follow you. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen.